0: you know that character is such a bullseye that you have to hit you know he's one of the most precious icons of our country at least it's out there in the ether that that could have happened
1: Welcome to all star super fan lives the podcast from beyond the grave more powerful than life itself where we tear through the universe with the cold dead eyes of a killer and the sheer combat prowess of having been in 500 street fights across the 85 year legacy of john peters i mean the man of steel Through abandoned comics, never-seen TV shows, and most importantly, unmade movies, we explore all the secrets of Krypton, interviews with the giants, deep dives into the creepiest sarcophaguses of Centennial Park, the labyrinthine architecture of Krypton, and the piranha-chomping corners of LexCorp Towers. Ladies and gentlemen... I am the AI entity known as Rob O'Connor, and as always, I'm joined by the slightly more benevolent artificial intelligence creature, Mr. Alan Burke. How are you doing, Alan? I'm good. I have decided what I'm going to do henceforth is I am going to uh,
2: bring my daughter into the room with all of her cousins every time you or I are editing a podcast. We will decide what stays in based on the thoughts and opinions of six and seven-year-olds.
1: I love it. I love it. It's the only way to do things. It is uh i'm I'm so excited I'm maybe the most excited I've ever been for an episode at least one of the solo episodes of this we've done. Yeah. Um, but before we get into all of that, will we just talk about where we're at in terms of other Superman stuff right now?
2: Yes, absolutely. We enjoyed a rare meet-up uh, recently enough yeah. when we attended Superman in concert in Dublin, and it was a magical night. It was great to to meet up in person and have share a cocktail, share a beverage, and four, uh, it yeah. was it was superb. It was, uh, you you had a great night, it.
1: Oh, it was like it really was like magical. (laughs) The word is magical, but the word is magical. Like it was absolutely excellent, and yeah, you know, it's a film I've seen so many times, and every time I watch it in an actual cinema environment, Mm -hmm. you know, it there's something slightly more transcendent about it. But having the orchestra there and being as good as they were, and just raising the roof with all those themes we know so well. Like, I was crying during the Mm -hmm. helicopter scene. I was crying again during the bit at Lois's apartment. Krypton, forget about it. Like, so much of it was just, it was excellent. And it just really hit home to me. It was like, wow, they don't make them like they used to. And I don't want to go into a big thing about that. But, like, it just made me appreciate so many little moments in the film. Like, just little moments of carefully directed, you know, physical comedy Christopher Reeves acting for the millionth time. He's just a giant in that film. Margot Kidder, I think, I can't say enough good words, but just yeah. everything about it was excellent. And shout out to our great friend Paul Rogers uh, from Batman Movie Online and uh, the Amazing Spider-Man 77 site. He was there as well. Amazing to see him, because we've both grown up with his site as well, mm-hmm. Batman Movie Online. It's one of the great movie sites and it was amazing to see him such a nice guy as it happened he was in the same uh the same row as us wasn't he he was like two seats
2: away from me down from me yeah um but you're right it was it was transcendent it's the third time i believe i've seen it theatrically Mm. But it was the closest, I think, I have ever felt to seeing it for the first time in 1978. Yes. yeah, And uh, uh, the feeling that audiences and people like Jim Bowers and and people who saw it originally in the theaters would have felt in those Mm. seats back in the day. Um, And there was a, we spoke about it, we laughed about it in the bar afterwards. There was a a couple of kids in the row ahead of us. And they were a bit boisterous at the start. By the midway through the film, they were glued to it. I they was were transfixed? Yeah, they were. And I, I elbowed you and I was like, there's a kid down there. He's about 12 or 13. I'm fairly sure it's the first time he's ever seen this film. And his jaw was just, he was so engrossed in it. And yeah. it really just gave me goosebumps. Yeah. yeah and, it was and
1: great. you know, when they announced this Superman in concert series, I assumed it would never come to Ireland. I like, I, I never would have guessed that they would do it here. I I Um, had
2: contemplated going to London for it, but it just just wasn't, it was too much, to be honest with you. know, monetarily, it was just too much to go and and see a film.
1: Yeah, Um, factor in, like, hotels. Like, a big reason I never go to conventions and things in London is just you can't justify the cost of hotels. It's the biggest thing for me. On top of all the money you're going to spend. I I did
2: it once. I've mentioned it before. I did it once with uh, London Film and Comic-Con in 2017, but it was huge money. Yeah. and the experience overall even though I, I love meeting Terence and Sarah and uh, Dean and uh, Mike Rosenbaum and all those people the experience I, I it was it was too hectic there was too much yeah. going on and it was re- you like if you think the smaller ones are transactional the big ones are crazy like to I'd say so it was really just a fluke that I actually got to to get up to to meet Terence because really I should have paid about 200 quid more than I did to meet him mm. um but I have to say, I was I, I went into Superman in concert expecting my favorite scene to be the uh, the helicopter rescue. Yeah, and it was actually the, like you said earlier, the smaller moments. Yeah, it was the scene with uh, Jeff East and Phyllis Taxer in the cornfield. Yeah, and the music swells that. up, and you have that beautiful, you know, the 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 crane shot that yeah. comes over their heads, and it just builds and builds and builds. And with a live orchestra, that was just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so if, if anybody's thinking of going uh, in any of the other countries that it's playing, I think it's playing again in the States shortly. I would highly, highly recommend that you check it out.
1: And just like any of those orchestra screenings, if you have an orchestra nearby and they're they're doing something like that, like go and support them because they need, you know, they, they do not bring in the crowds that they used to. And they the only reason they do these big movie orchestra screenings is because hopefully it'll bring some more mainstream audiences yeah. in. And, you know, the 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 night we were there, it, it didn't quite sell out. Like, it was quite full, but it wasn't mm-hmm. completely packed either, you know? So it would be great to see just a swell of enthusiasm for this because, you know, live entertainment is struggling like everything else. Like, by all means, if there's one of them in your town and you think well I don't know but that looks a bit pricey it's worth it's worth the price by all means yeah I think,
2: I think like realistically we paid what 50 quid a ticket I think it was 50 euro ish or yeah, was it 60 50
1: quid so that's what 70 dollars 75 dollars or something it like was that it was well worth it well well worth it and the yeah. like the service when you get it in there is great and the musicians were excellent and everything about it was and really and really, the really good the musicians
2: themselves seemed to be enjoying the performance yeah uh, you know the, the composer was really getting into it and yeah it was it and was I'm really great
1: By the way, the composer liked our tweet, the actual composer, yeah, I forgot, I I should have written his name down, but he he took the time, he liked our tweet, and so did, I believe, the director of the National National Concert Hall, which is where we saw it, and by the way, anyone in Ireland, if you've never been to the National Concert Hall, get your ass down there, Mm. it's a beautiful, beautiful venue that deserves to be celebrated, Uh, so yeah, just such a good evening, so glad we did that. Yeah, me too. Um, and d- quick shout out, d- just in other sort of Superman news, um, when at the time of recording, I watched the first episode of My Adventures with Superman, the new animated series where Jack Quaid is voicing a younger Clark Kent. He's kind of early 20s and he's like an intern. In the Daily Planet. Jack
2: Jack Quaid is really dipping his toe in all the the fran, the fandoms at the moment, isn't he?
1: <laughs> he's he's in just about everything. Yeah, he's he's in Star Trek, uh, both Screen. live action and animation, and he's in the Boys, and now yeah. he's Superman, and he's pretty great. He's a great he Superman. Great. And I apologies, I don't know the actors who play Lois and Jimmy, but they're great too. Like Jimmy in this, in one episode, is already better than Jimmy in the animated series for me. He, they do more with him. And he's clearly going to be much more of a kind of a main character. And you want to talk about journalism Superman stories? Well, here you go. It's all about them going on these little reporting adventures. And they're trying to prove to Perry White that they can be great reporters. And it's such a charming show. Very, very different style. Very kind of anime influenced. They do some funky stuff with Superman's powers that maybe not everybody will be cool with. But I, I thought it was just lovely. And Alan, you know, you're looking for superman content that you can show your young daughter you know maybe four is like ever so slightly too young but Mm -hmm. there's nothing in this that would be unsuitable it's very fun it's very colorful it's very lively, and I'm so excited for young fans to discover it. It's adult, adult Swim in the States. I presume this side of the pond, it's VPN City, is it? VPN City, baby. The first two episodes are on www.youtube.com for free. You can watch them, but they're geo-blocked to America, so you need Ugh. a VPN to watch yeah. them, uh, which okay. is how I watch them, and they're great. But I'm sure that they'll have to pop up here somewhere on the streaming site or something like that. Um, if not an actual kids channel, please God. Yeah, uh, if they still exist, but uh, no, it's a it's a super fun show. So I've I've
2: slowly been catching up on Superman and Lois. I'll be glad Whoa. to hear. So I'm about three quarters of the way through season two. The fact that I'm so far behind on that is a crime. Uh, I know it is, but I, I'm going. To, I'm
1: sticking with it and hopefully get onto season three soon enough. I'm on digging for kryptonite. By the time this goes out, it'll probably be a few weeks old. But I we talked all about season three, which I absolutely love. Um, I know Anthony the host of that show really loved it as well um, I mentioned on our socials that the one thing I regret not talking more about was Bitsy Tulock uh, who I actually think has entered the goat conversation Adam. Oh really? Yeah. Based on based on season 3 for me she's entered the goat conversation so apologies for that Bitsy Tulock in every other respect I think it's a great episode great discussion check that out um, but I've really, I've really been on a Batman kick over the last while I don't know why since I saw The Flash
2: um i've just been on this batman kick and i've said this before but like my 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 three general fandoms are star trek superman batman and they kind of ebb and flow where i'm at with each one and -hmm. i was at star trek really deep into star trek for a lot of this year and i'm really back into batman now um i picked up batman cacophony Funnily enough, Kevin Smith book. We'll be talking about Kevin uh-huh. later on. Uh, from my local library, this uh, I, I, Alana Jean has started uh, rugby uh, for for toddlers basically. And afterwards, we have this new tradition now where we, I brought her down to the local library and we signed her up. And every Saturday, she gets. Two or three new books, and we read them over the week, and then we drop them back after her rugby on the following Saturday. So I okay. signed up as well, and I picked up uh Batman. They're a pretty decent collection, and they have an app as well that you can read uh, yeah. graphic novels and stuff on. So I picked up that. Um, I have finally taken the dive into Batman Nightfall, which I've yes. been putting off for a long, long time just because of the sheer volume Amount of it. Of I was it, like, yeah. it was always so intimidating. But um, I'm in the middle of that at the minute, and I'm absolutely loving it. Great! Um, I'm almost at the end of Volume One, um, but I'm I'm absolutely loving it so far. I know you said it gets a bit mad. Yeah, keep me posted on Volume Two, (laughs) Alan, please. (laughs) By the way,
1: I love Volume Two, but just keep me posted. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) okay, it's not for everyone.
2: Uh, I am back playing Batman Arkham Knight, which I downloaded oh. for practically nothing off the PSN store the other day. It was €6.99, so about $10. Got me the game, all the DLCs, all the additional content and skins. Oh. I hadn't played it in years, and I'm really enjoying that. And I want to give a shout-out to another podcast that doesn't need our support in any way, shape, or form. Batman Unburied. Oh, yeah. You you put me onto this. Uh, I was listening to the first episode of Batman The Audio Adventures, and I was like, "Uh, I don't really. It's good, but it's kind of more uh, kid-orientated. It's very kind of Batman 66-ish, and you recommended maybe checking out Unburied, and I absolutely love it. I'm almost finished it now, but it is my one issue with it is... The guy playing Batman, like the voice cast is superb, but the guy playing Batman is just doing this really bad knockoff, like I've Christian Bale, Tony yeah. Todd voice, <laughs> and it's awful. It is. It just takes me out of it. It's the only critique, and the rest of them are so good. But uh, I think he's it,
1: he, his Bruce Wayne is fine, but yeah. his Batman
2: is it's it's just it's the worst of Christian Bale.
1: I believe it's Winston Duke who plays Mbaku in Black Panther. It's that guy playing Batman, uh, yeah. and I I have heard that actually that is. His Batman voice is very much in the, you'll be in a bad show forever type of That's voice. exactly what it is. It, it just yeah. keeps
2: reminding me of Tony Todd. I just picture, I keep picturing Candyman playing Batman for some, I did, and he's Bruce Wayne is fine, and the rest of yeah. them are all good. Riddler sounds a little bit young, um, but the rest of them are great, but it's a really good adult uh, Batman podcast uh, okay. drama, and it's like you said to me before, it's perfect for that medium.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. It's it's another medium I wish they'd do more of with this stuff yeah. is is audio dramas. Like Batman, obviously, especially is like the ultimate because you can do like the most grounded detective stories of Batman. I think they could do a great Superman one too. They've done yeah. a few over the years. Some of them have been better than others, but I really think it'd be great to just go really grounded journalism heavy. Would love to see that. But anyway, yeah. um, last thing before we move on from Batman. When I was in Spain, I bought the Batman 89 um, uh, comic did you go back? Adaptation. Did you go back and get it after I told you to go back and get it? Yes, I did. Alan oh, Alan yeah. Right fair here. play. So what happened was I saw this in a bookshop, and it's the adaptation of the Batman '89 comic book. And um, uh, I saw it in a bookshop, and the way it is, the way it's laid out is it's a hardback, and on one page you have Jerry Ordway's original art. I'm showing it to Alan here. Mm-hmm. The original art in Beautiful. black and white, and then side by side is the, the finished colored art. And when I saw the finished colored art, I saw it was all in Spanish. And I said, oh, I don't know if I want to read it in Spanish. And I sent Alan these pictures I took of it. And it was only looking at the pictures afterwards. I realized, hang on a second. All the black and white bits are in English. I can read those. (laughs) So I was like, oh, God, I have to go back and get that. And I went back and got it. And the funniest thing about the black and white bits, and this is real Rob trivia stuff here. uh, You can actually see where Jerry Ordway had to tip X over the artwork of Jack Nicholson. Because Jack Nicholson told him that it didn't look enough like him. And then he had to go back and redraw it. So there's a couple of panels where there's like a blue smudge around Jack Nicholson's face where they clearly had to draw it again. And then at the end of the book, there's all this original artwork where you can see Jack Nicholson. I'm only assuming it's Jack Nicholson's handwriting. And it literally says, this does not look like me (laughs) at all. I
2: think Jack might have been worried he wasn't going to get the royalties or something.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd say he's still getting the royalties from all this stuff, to be honest. But anyway, uh, great book. I'm sure there's an English language version. It always makes it's
2: me laugh. Fun. Like the front of the book, their the font reads Batman 80, 1989. And it's just been re- completely
1: re- re- rebranded as Batman yeah. 1989. Uh, I always find that funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Anyway, great book. Check it out if you can. On to the topic of tonight's discussion, Alan. Uh, yes. Superman lives... Never heard okay. of it. Never heard of it. And a lot of people <laughs> haven't, right? I have heard of it. I'm, I'm joking for anybody. If else. you saw a, f- a motion picture called The Flash in cinemas very recently, you may recall a scene where a strange uh, CGI Superman who looks like a birthday cake creature come to life and sort of strangely looks like Nicolas Cage wearing a mullet wig mm-hmm. fights a giant spider. Yes. Well, you might ask yourself, what the heck is that about? Well... We're about to find out because as we all know, and if you don't know this story, just type in the words, uh, Kevin Smith, Superman into YouTube and he'll tell you all about it in the nineties, right? As we all know, Kevin Smith coming off a couple of really, really, uh, successful independent projects, uh, went to meet Warner brothers about possibly developing a couple of scripts, found that there was a treatment for Superman and he read this uh, script that was really, really, in his words, was really, really bad, really, really campy. Superman Reborn, it was called at that point, by uh, a writer named Gregory Poirier, I believe. Kevin Smith said it was really, really bad, said it to enough executives that eventually they said, hey, Kevin Smith, why don't you try and give it a crack? And that's where our story begins tonight, ladies and gentlemen. But before we get into that, let's just talk a little bit about First of all, Kevin Smith, because we, I think, are both fans of Kevin Smith's o- outside of all the podcasting and all the stuff he's mm-hmm. kind of known for today. We're fans of his movies and and y- you, I think, especially
2: his early movies. OK, <laughs> <wow>. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I am a huge Kevin Smith fan. I discovered Kevin Smith. Well, originally I saw Jane Silent. Uh, bob strike back in 2001 in theaters with a load of my buddies when it nice. came out not realizing in any way shape or form that it was uh you know interconnected in this uh, view askew universe and then a couple of years later i was uh working in a video store do you remember those Oh yeah. and i had basically worked my way through all the vhs tapes uh wait playing... what was it called again let me it think
1: called... you know, cool what? movies or or butt Movie? <laughs> what was it called <laughs> Uh, it, it, well see it had Mr. two names movies.
2: so the, the the first name it had was movie buff movie buff and then the second name was <laughs> premiere movies when they re <laughs> when they, when they relaunched the, it
1: strand electric was the other one oh strand
2: electric was the other one good memory wow yeah, good is. memory yep. um so i i eventually discovered clerks by just sheer luck going through the, the these tapes and it was like this meta Thing where I was sitting in a video store watching guys who worked in a video store and were yeah. kind of I had kind of the, the part I left out of the story was I kind of flunked out of college pretty much and everything but name at that point and I I, I went back and I finished but th- that first year was rough and these guys were kind of you know in that in that first film they, they're lost and they don't really know what they're doing with yeah. their lives and this whole kind of thing of more successful people coming back and meeting them in the store and you know them trying to justify their existence, all this kind of stuff. So it really hit me hard. And I remember looking it up online and discovering that it was part of this whole universe. And then I checked out Mallrats and Dogma and everything else afterwards. And I really, really connected with Kevin Smith as a filmmaker, flawed filmmaker, but, you know, I I really connected with him. And I went to see him live a couple of times. I saw him first, I think, in two thousand and nine, uh, and he did one of his kind of Q and A stand up. You know, he's big into that back in the late two thousands, and that was superb. And then I saw him in London Film and Comic Con, and I went to a Hollywood Babylon with him, him and Ralph Garman recently. Now, saying that, it turned out I was there
1: that night as well. And we were didn't you even there know. that night as well. Yeah, we talked about this before. Go on.
2: Yeah, so uh, Stacey was heavily pregnant at the time, and she agreed to come with me, and I had a great night. I really, really enjoyed it. Now, saying that. I, I have fallen out with these movies over the last few mm. years, over the last decade or so. Um, I loved his podcasts for a long period of time, and then I kind of drifted away from them. He was, in my opinion, he was smoking a lot of weed at one time, <laughs> and they they just got a bit like he, he yeah. used to make great points and you know you know things that I you know focus on things that I'd agree with or not agree with, and I really found his his podcasts interesting and his his insight interesting into the whole yeah. into the whole filmmaking comic book universe stuff and then I just found it a little bit much and I kind of drifted away I've stuck with Hollywood Babylon but I kind of moved away from everything else Um mm. but over the last while he's, 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 he's off the weed at the moment he, he, he's given up smoking cannabis and uh, I've I've gone back listening to a few of the podcasts and again I found that he's 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 back kind of you know making <laughs> making sense not sounding like he's tripping balls on his, on his shows yeah. anymore Um but like films like
1: um I remember. I enjoyed Red State. It was. I've okay. heard Red State is actually. Yeah. I, I haven't seen some of the more recent ones. It's I've probably his most good.
2: competently made. Like it's, it's definitely his yeah. most kind of mainstream. You wouldn't realize it was a Kevin Smith movie kind of mm. movie. Um, but then like Tusk then was really strange. Yeah, you know this kind of body <laughs> horror thing, and then he made this one. Uh, what was that one he made with? But the, the, L- the, the yoga Hosers Yoga Hosers Like yeah. I completely Didn't skipped that. One. Yeah. yeah, I completely skipped that. I thought um the reboot movie Jay Inside and Silent Bob reboot wasn't good either. And clerk's Three was when I was I was a big fan of clerk's Two when it came out in two thousand and six. I thought it ended the story really, really nicely. and then clerk's three is really fucking depressing, um, and where it leaves those characters and stuff. So again, mm-hmm. I was like, mm, not really for me, but I, I am like Kevin Smith was a huge influence from like two thousand and two all the way up to about five years ago, I was a huge Kevin Smith fan. And um, like I have a signed copy of Clerks VHS. I remember okay. Stacy handed it to him because I, again, I couldn't get up in the queue and my amazing wife kind of managed to skip into the queue and got up. And she handed him the VHS tape and uh, he said to her, he was like, oh, my God, whenever I think of clerks, this is how I remember it on a VHS tape. And he was like, is this yours? Because he was looking at her, he's like, surely you're not into this shit. And she was like, no, it's from my husband, Alan. And he's like, where the fuck is he? And uh, she was like, oh, he, he, he didn't have the balls to skip the queue to, co- to come in and meet you. So it just says, Alan, where the fuck were you <laughs> on, the, uh, um. on, the, on the VHS? But yeah, I'm a huge Kevin. I, I am a huge Kevin Smith fan overall.
1: Oh, that's really nice. I, 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 won't go into my. I, I mean, very briefly, I discovered Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back on DVD, mm-hmm. DVD. When I think, I think we were about sixteen. No, we we're probably a bit sixteen or seventeen. I want to say, and uh, like it was a couple of years after the movie come out. Obviously, and, it's a uh, solid well, comedy. It's it's good. It is very solid, mm-hmm. especially when you're that age. and You just want to watch, you know, boobs and fart jokes and stuff like. We were like, this is. More than solid and made us want to go back and watch the other stuff. Yeah. I think we followed that up with Rats, which I remember when I was very, very young. I love mall Rats. I remember seeing an ad for that in a comic and like, if you remember the ads that they put in comics, it was literally comic book art mm-hmm. and there was like in the corner, it was like Brody like standing on this big kind of pile of his enemies or something like something out of Frank Miller and then at the bottom it said featuring guest star Stan Lee and there's a picture of Stan Lee and I was like this can't be a real movie, is it? Like, Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, I really like most of those, that first crop of them as well. I think mm-hmm. Clerks is genuinely an excellent film. It might be a masterpiece. Uh, Mallrats, I have a huge soft spot for it. It's a really nice kind of 90s slice of kind of pop culture and comic book culture mm-hmm. at that time. Like what comic book fans were talking about and Shannon Doherty's in it from Beverly Hills 902.0. Everything so, was back you know, to the hills. Um you know, and then the chasing Amy. I think flawed oh, film. Amy. I forgot about that. Yeah, very, very flawed film, but really, mm-hmm. really interesting in a lot of interesting ways. And yeah, uh, it's
2: dated in a way that. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I I know what you're saying.
1: And what, what else? Uh, Dogma, I think, is pretty good. Very interesting. It's definitely a bigger scale than a lot of stuff. Interesting performance from Matt Damon. Uh, I I think when you go back and watch that first crop of them, Jay and Silent Bob, Strike Back, suddenly becomes a way more interesting movie because Absolutely. you suddenly discover oh no wait hold on uh, Ben Affleck is like three characters in this and Jason Lee is like three characters in it as well yeah. and all this stuff and it becomes a way more complicated meta kind of cross everything. and yeah I, I sort of I remember seeing Clerks 2 and not being mad about it the guy the bit when your man's looking at the stripper getting along famously with a horse and he's Donkey played- it's a donkey Pleasuring himself, apologizing to Jesus. I was like, "This is all just a bit crazy." And yeah. I I was still very much a Catholic in those days. I just kind of went, "Do you know what? Let's just park this." Never saw. I do, I think I but, saw. James. But no, but
2: no issue with dogma.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Funnily, <laughs> Funnily yeah. enough, Alanus as enough. God is perfectly yeah. fine. Yeah, no, that was okay. Um, but yeah, no, I I fully intend to watch the other stuff at some of that. Well, I think too. I saw Zach and Mary make a porno in in it's the same. Either we, that's it's pretty good. It's okay. with my then girlfriend and uh did she break yeah. up with you because of the film no no I mean, i'm sure it contributed <laughs> anyway look kevin well, two, smith two, only... things two things two things i'll on. say about kevin smith real quick
2: you have to have respect for anybody who at 24 25 years of age yeah. takes out 28 grand on credit cards and should basically makes a movie at night in the store where he works and it ends up in sundance Like absolutely that is that is that's the first thing I'll say. The second thing I'll say And sorry,
1: just on that point. Crucially, mm -hmm. he took out all that money and he made a movie and he didn't make a fucking fan film that just gets buried on YouTube. No. He made an actual original property. So absolutely a lesson to be learned. Fans do that, please. Absolutely. The second point I'll
2: make about him, I think what happened with Kevin Smith, if you watch his work in the nineties going into the two thousands, yes. it steadily it steadily improves. I know Mallrats was a flop compared to what they expected it was going to be, but his yeah. his 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 craft steadily improves over those films. And I think what happened with Kevin was he made Jersey Girl. ...which is a film he made in the early 2000s... Um, ...Ben Affleck and I think Jennifer Lopez was in it... ...and our scenes were cut or something... ...I think they were going out at the time... ...and they'd broken up... Um, ...but that was a big studio release movie... ...and it didn't do well... ...and he had kind of said... ...at that point with Jane and Silent Bob Strike Back... ...that he was he was never going back to those characters... ...and he was never going back to the View Skew universe... ...and I think he really got... ...kind of face slapped... ...by that Jersey Girl experience... And then yeah. he just ran back into his corner and he never really yeah. left there again. If if that had gone better, I think we would have seen a steady progression into a, a situation where Kevin Smith could have been like a John Favreau type character or made like a really honest to God good comic book movie. But it kind of all goes back into this kind of toilet humor view askew ish kind of stuff. And it's never really it's never really left there. So much so that I think. He this the, these kind of films that he's been making over the last years like Tusk and um, Yoga Hosers and that kind of stuff. It's almost like he's intentionally making bad films because the point is that they are bad. They're like these really like he was talking at one point about making a film called Moose Jaws, which was a Jaws movie but it was a moose in the woods, like these intentionally bad B movies because if they're meant to suck, it doesn't really hurt them if people say they suck. You know that kind of way. And I think it's it's mm. almost like a security blanket that he he doesn't want to relive that experience with Jersey Girl again. Now, that's what I've gotten from listening to hours and hours and hours of his podcasts and stuff over the last few years. Do you think, years.
1: though, making, the, from what I've heard, like, Je, well, Jay and Silent Bob reboot is a very, like, he's going for some big emotions in mm-hmm. that. And, and definitely in Clerks 3, but what I've heard... He very much puts; it, 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 those are earnest films. Is what I'm trying to say. I think he's trying to really say something with those. I don't think he's just cashing yeah. it into you. No,
2: I don't think he's cashing it in. I don't think he's cashing. But I, I just don't think he's prepared to to take the Moving risks that he would have otherwise made. I think, if if he if his career had gone that little bit more smoothly along the way. Well,
1: speaking about how differently his career might have gone, <laughs> Alan. Yes. Over to Superman lives. Okay, so um. And and I need to stress this point because every time this film gets brought up, it immediately just becomes this Kevin Smith celebration. Mm-hmm. Kevin Smith is one chapter of this story, right? It it goes so basically suffice to say, the first draft of Superman Lives was written by Kevin Smith in close proximity of John Peters, as he has so famously talked about on that story. If you haven't heard that story, ladies and gentlemen, I would recommend maybe pausing the podcast and going and listen to it. I think it's only about 10 minutes and it's yeah. it's hilarious and it's well worth your time. There's a separate story he tells on that same one where he had a falling out with Tim Burton about a completely separate thing that's also kind of worth listening to as well because it kind of feeds into a lot of the uh, well, the problems he had with Tim for Burton. Anybody, later, yes.
2: For anybody who doesn't know, who's John
1: Peters? Now, so... John Peters uh, uh, was a hairdresser in the 1970s, was in a relationship with Barbara Streisand, uh, was known as this crazy party guy uh, throughout the 70s and 80s, briefly ran Sony, ran it into the ground, and then mm-hmm. left and became an independent producer again. In the midst of all this, he also produced a little-known movie called Batman 89 and made a whole bunch of money. Uh, or just he, called Batman. He bought the rights of uh, the saw coins for Superman mm-hmm. Because in those days, Warner Brothers didn't know that the rights had lapsed. They didn't have this kind of, they weren't keeping track of where those rights were. So he bought them out from under him. And then he rang them up one day and said, guess what? I've got the rights. I'm making the movie and you have to distribute it. And they kind of went, shit, we wanted to make that movie. Anyway, Kevin Smith writes a script. Uh, John Peters supposedly gives him all these instructions like Superman can't fly. He can't wear the suit and he has to fight the giant spider in the third act. Of those three things, only one of them is actually apparent in Kevin, Kevin Smith's Superman Live script. That is mm. that a giant spider does in fact show up. Panegarian Snarbeast, if you will. Panegarian Snarbeast. Tan-A-Garian. It, like Superman absolutely does fly and use all his powers in this, and he wears a what is described as the traditional red and blue Superman suit. Yes. So I don't fully. I want to talk about a theory I have later on about what that, what that kind of. The the, the the anecdote Kevin Smith told was, but I think John Peters is a far more complex and fascinating guy than Kevin Smith maybe gives him credit for, and I think that's maybe part of it. But suffice to say, all of these different uh, scripts, I just want to mention quickly, uh, the overview of the Superman Lives saga. Um, it begins on Krypton. Uh, it shows Brainiac uh, seeking a device created by Jor-El, either named the Eradicator or just K. Uh, right as Jor-El is sending the baby into space. Now, if that sounds familiar, I'm going to come back to that. Cut to 30 years later. Again, very familiar. Superman is established on Metropolis in a a romantic relationship with Lois. Uh, In some versions, she knows he's Clark, and in some versions, she finds it later on. They're both trying to take down Lex Luthor, who is, refreshingly, a billionaire industrialist working in LexCorp. Uh, Lex then discovers an alien spacecraft, and Brainiac is alerted to it, via broadcast from space again very similar to a superman movie that eventually came out the two team up and use a device uh like called the shadow caster to block out the sun Uh, meanwhile brainiac releases a creature called doomsday superman fights him because the sun's blocked uh superman's powers don't recharge so they're gradually running out and this leads to superman defeating doomsday but he dies trying to defeat him and then, much like Mister Burns, <laughs> Lex holds the city to ransom, forcing them to use his privatized uh, power source. Um, Brainiac is up to up to all kinds of hijinks as well. Uh, Superman then is revived uh, very quickly in the story. By the way, very sort of it almost Im- happens immediately. He's revived by this entity known as either the Eradicator or K, and they morph into this exosuit that Superman can wear. Um, that allows him to kind of go after Lex and Brainiac, and then as he's doing that, he starts fighting the giant spider. At some point, the 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 Eradicator slash K sacrifices himself. Superman gets his powers back, and he's in a brand new costume. Uh, he fights Bra- Brainiac and Lex, beats them, ends with Superman and Lois uh, agreeing to take the relationship to the next level. So every draft of the script basically follows that story that template. Yeah, but all three of them, baby, are totally different and i can't wait to talk about it because i'm just back from spain and i just read all three i liked the idea in one of the versions of the scripts i liked the idea
2: that the this kind of k character starts off as like a teddy bear kind of a comforter for for carl and then as clark ages it morphs into what he needs Mm. for that time and i
1: i thought that was i thought that was really smart a really interesting idea that isn't in any of the scripts and there's a couple of things like that and i want to come back to it because they talk about a load of stuff in the documentary that we're Mm. definitely going to talk about Um, they talk about a load of stuff in the documentary that was either just concept art or ideas that either tim burton or john peters had that doesn't exist now i'm sure had the movie been made maybe they would have come along later but they're they're definitely not in any of the scripts so anyway quickly just the kevin smith draft uh if you're looking for kind of a 1990s superman movie that's similar to the comics and similar to the old movies look no further Th- this is the one that's probably the most like the previous superman movies um but it is still a reboot it opens on krypton and has a very i would say too similar scene to the original jor talking to the science council you're mad jor-el no i'm not Da-da-da-da-da, right alan yes Two of the Kryptonian council members, their names are Randall and Dante. Oh, that's really on the nose. It's a bit much, right? Um, So it's perfectly fine the way he writes that whole sequence. It just isn't better. And it's a problem I have with a lot of those Krypton scenes and other versions. It's just, it's never going to be better than, there's there's no fantasy. Um, The script, Kevin Smith's script overall it's okay. It's very kind of exposition heavy and it's very dialogue heavy. It's full of that kind of heavy. That's what he was always famous
2: for though, is just dialogue. Like that's his, that's his, that's his his thing.
1: It's his thing, but it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like real. It doesn't feel like clerk's dialogue. It feels Mm. like just very blocky comic book dialogue and it doesn't feel real. Uh, And it feels a bit sort of like what people give out about the CW about sometimes it just doesn't, it feels very mechanical in the documentary they talk about the batman cameo that's only in the kevin smith script and if you ask me that dialogue that he writes for batman is disastrous it sounds like adam west and it wouldn't have worked at all and he put in like dead shot was going to be in the movie and black manta shows up in one scene and they definitely refer to oa a couple of times in the kevin smith one so again if you're a fan of like superman comics and 90s superman comics and you remember the time where you were like oh, i wish this was a big shared kevin smith was doing that before anyone like and that's really, obviously
2: that's obviously what tim burton did not like about it
1: a hundred percent and i don't think it would have worked back then i think it would have been too much and people would have been wait what ba- batman's here now like mm. you have to remember the world we were living in back then like you know talking about artificial intelligence one second and then you're talking about um you know hyperlight generators and all this stuff like it's It's fine for like a Star Trek movie, but I don't think people were ready to associate superheroes with that level of kind of high science fiction just yet and shared universes and different supervillains and all this stuff. I think there was just too much of that in it. So then, you know, the way Kevin Smith describes it in Ed Gross's book, Voices from Krypton, which I also read. Available
2: for pre-order now.
1: The way he describes it is John Peters promised him from the outset that... This is going to be a you and me gig. We're going to be through for the whole production. You're going to be on set with the director and we're not going to let anyone push us around. And by all, by Kevin Smith's account, as soon as Tim Burton showed up, that was the end of that. Like it was Tim Burton's show from then on. And yeah, he got... I, he. I I
2: actually have a a quote from uh, Kevin Smith in relation to that. He said, the studio was happy with what I was doing. Then Tim Burton got involved. And when he signed his pay or play deal, he turned around and said he wanted to do his version of Superman. So who is Warner Brothers going to back? The guy who made Clerks or the guy who made them half a billion dollars on Batman?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and if you watch the documentary, and we'll get back into it, a lot of, like there is more than a couple of people who reckon that had Tim Burton not been on it, Mm -hmm. it would have gotten made. Because it was, Because Tim Burton was so high profile, he had such power that he was kind of able to say, well, no, I don't like that. Get that out. Bring that in. Bring him in. Another rewrite. Whatever. Whereas if it had been, say, for example, Rennie Harlan, who Nicolas Mm -hmm. Cage said at one stage was involved, he directed Nightmare on Elm Street 4 and he directed Die Hard 2. So maybe not the world's greatest director, but like a very solid workman-like guy who can get movies made. Had he made the movie... We'd probably be talking about it right now. Okay. Um, into enter Wesley Strick, right? Wesley Strick uh, did a lot of uncredited rewrites on Batman Returns. He was apparently the on-set writer, and he was uh, Tim Burton. Whenever he needed something rewritten on Batman Returns, he turned to Wesley Strick, and he'd kind of go away and rewrite it. Um, because if you read any of the drafts of Batman Returns, there, there, you know, there's a lot of differences from the final film, and there's a lot of kind of. Elements melded together from the different scripts. Um, his draft, Alan, if you like the documentary and you like the crazy concept art and you like the, you know, all the weird alien Tim Burton designs, I would say this is the one to read. And in many ways, it it's actually my favorite. Okay. Um, because it's, it's not unfaithful to Superman, but it does come at it in a, in a new way, right? So this one starts on Krypton... But cut straight to the action. So we we'll okay. cut straight into Brainiac hunting down Jarell so that he can steal this experimental device, which is now just called K, right? And the, the idea is, uh, I, I believe Brainiac was created by Jarell, and then K is the newer version that is more advanced. And if you can think of Data and Lore in Star Trek, okay. it's kind of yeah. it's kind of that you. idea. And Lore is out to destroy Data, kind of thing. Um, and then. Superman sent into space and Brainiac kills Jor-El as he watches the ship take off. What does that remind us of? And in this version, Lois doesn't know that he's Superman um, and he's wrestling with with telling her the truth. They're in a relationship, but she doesn't know who he really is. And she knows that there, he has a secret identity that he won't tell her. And it's really kind of interesting and really kind of Tim Burtony. There's this scene where they go to Benny Hanna, which I think we would call Teppanyaki here. Uh, like a japanese restaurant and he's like battling whether to tell her and he's like shaking his foot so fast that the they think there's an earthquake and there's a bit where he steps outside and flies around the world really quick because he's just trying to burn off the kind of nervous energy and it's such tim burton this is this the version where he's like a real where clark is a real
2: like existentialist isn't it yeah so he's
1: he this is at this point in the story uh unlike kevin Smith's script clark doesn't know anything about krypton he thinks that he is a genetically modified type thing and it's only when lex discovers this spacecraft that he starts thinking oh fuck maybe that's mine and it's this whole thing of like he's worried that he's an alien and he's worried that people will reject him if they find this out and he's also worried that if him and lois continue their relationship and if they try and have a child that it will be fatal for her that the child will literally burst out of her like alien and they they describe as that as disgusting and, like, clerks <laughs> it's it's you know it's crazy like um i, I want to th- this also introduces this idea of lexiac which is mm-hmm. lex and brainiac merging into one being and i want to say in this version of the script it's that idea where like one or the other is like emerging from the shoulder side of the other and they're like looking ah, at each other okay. it's so crazy and so tim burton um And it's also, I'm going to come back to it in a second, Alan, but (laughs) I also just want to read out a couple of quotes from this draft because they're just so, like, had this movie been made, we'd be be quoting these to this day. Like like people quote Batman Returns, right? So um, we're on Krypton, right? Brainiac is talking to Jor-El. For a scientist, you are always such a sentimental fool. And then Jor-El says, you're everything Krypton was not. You must not survive its death. And then Brainiac responds, Ah, history is rich with ironies. <laughs> That's, I love that line, right? Yeah, it's good. But then later on, when the whole Shadowcaster business is happening and Lex is holding the city to ransom, the mayor turns to Lex and he said, he's begging Lex, he's like, please just give us give us more power <laughs> like, and stop charging us a fortune for it. And Lex is like, no. And the mayor's like, I'm sure God will counsel you to some mercy to Metropolis. And Lex responds, <laughs> who said anything about God? <laughs> Which is just, oh my goodness, right? I, I'll move on to the next one very quickly. Uh, Lex and Brainiacs back and forth in this draft, Alan, right? It's so similar to the kind of weird gay relationship between Riddler and Two-Face and Batman Forever. Okay. and But like like 20 times more so and there's this really strange... I mentioned Lexi earlier on, where they, they finally kind of come together as one being. I'm going to actually read the script here. Come together, uh, no pun intended. Well, like, strap yourself in, Alan. So, um, you want the top technology in the universe all in the comfort of a soup-proof container. I want the savvy know-how, can-do of Earth's most acquisitive tycoon all of the above i agree it's a brilliant merger bigger than rj or nabisco united we will crush our competition will it hurt i've done this plenty lex (laughs) relax (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like my impression broke there because it's such a gay scene like they literally walk together and it's implied that they're kind of you know tendrils are going around lex's leg and it's it's so so kooky man right so um You know, most of the rest of the story is similar, except that now, uh, when Superman is resuscitated, he can't remember, he doesn't have any memories of his life before he died. And um, he kind of goes on this crime fighting spree that's very similar to something like you'd see in a Tim Burton Batman movie. But he's using these powers that he had, like these kind of Robocop powers that are similar ish to his normal Superman powers, but it's very kind of robotic and it's kind of similar to Cyborg Superman. Um, And crucially, because this is the main thing people give out about Superman lives is that the uh, the suit at this point the the S on his chest is metallic, mm-hmm. and he can literally take bits off and use them either as knives or as like batarang devices. <laughs> and this is the Very only 90s. draft. It's so nineties and it's so toyetic. Like you can picture, yeah. you can picture the toy. You can hold it in your hands, the Kenner toy they would have made where you're pulling those things off and then they get lost, right? Um, this is the only script where that is a in, thing, a, in, you know, an, like- in
2: an alternate universe you are reaching behind you right oh,
1: now and, and lifting Maybe. up this little Kenner toy to the screen and I can say oh, oh. It's, it's amazing <laughs> Um, I'm actually I'm breathless just this is my f- yeah so look there are things in this draft that I think needed fleshing out like I think as much as I love some of the Laos and Superman stuff it needed to be fleshed out a little bit more and I think him coming back to life and the trauma that that Causes him and all that. They don't really kind of verbalize it enough, I feel. Whereas yeah. they do in the other drafts. Some of that stuff just needed to be worked out a bit more. Um, and and then like he does this other weird stuff where I sort of get the impression that Wesley Strick just didn't really know enough about Superman. He he establishes that the S on his chest does indeed it is indeed an actual English S and it okay. stands for science because. Oh jor was part of the science guild which admittedly he was but why would this s from a different planet actually you know stand for science yeah that does and the movie mean. ends with lois saying kiss me science man <laughs> <laughs> is that the final word? is that the final line of the movie it's, it's one of the final lines of the movie yeah i think there's a bit where like a little boy asks his mom like mom can i get superman's autograph and she says no he's been through enough or something like that and you're like well, has he though? Like, and why do people know this? And so there's one or two things in Wesley Strick's um, draft. So is, feel- is this the version that
2: we've seen all the art for? Like, uh, uh, Sylvian Desperates is the art designer. We see all the sketches and we see, like, if you, when we watch and we'll talk about the documentary in a moment. Yeah. When they show the documentary, you can see all of the Tim Burton kind of uh, drawings and like Tim Burton would literally draw up like a, a, a traffic cone with, a, with a, a circle on it and he'd be like, yes. this is what Brainiac looks like. Is, is that all this kind
1: of stuff? i'd say the majority that, looked, that stuff looked amazing it yeah it did and i'd say the majority of that stuff is it's the most similar to all that stuff is the best okay. way of putting it so dan gilroy then at the last second um he wrote the last two drafts of this and at this point warner brothers were freaked
2: okay uh, quick question before we move on to this why
1: was another draft required after wesley's trick and uh, warner brothers didn't like it apparently Okay. So t- Tim Burton is friends with Wesley Strick. I'd say if it was up to him, he would have kept him on, and uh, it would have been fine. But uh, Warner Brothers didn't like it, and I think at this point they were like, "We need to scale this back. It's costing too much money. We've had a bunch of flops, and we need to make this more affordable." So yeah, I, I have it here that um,
2: the the Wesley Strick version was budgeted at 190, and yeah. that uh, that Gilroy lowered the 190. 190- $190 million budget set by Strix Draft to 100 So we cut $90 million from the budget.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, it's still a big movie. Like, yeah. most of the Krypton stuff is there. Uh, the Brainiac stuff is very similar. The Lexiac stuff is scaled back. So instead of, like, this kind of shape-shifting thing where there's two heads and there are two different characters talking to each other, for the most part, it's mainly just Brainiac speaking through Lex Luthor's body. That's how it's described in the script. Now, okay there is still concept art of Lex flipping his head like Manny faces from Master of the Universe and all this kind of stuff. I don't know what it would have eventually been, but the way they describe it in this script is just uh, Christopher Walken speaking through Kevin Spacey, apparently, his body. Um, there's a couple of other differences. The Fortress of Solitude is now completely gone. So all the rejuvenation stuff, instead of happening in this epic timber in Fortress of Solitude, which we see in the documentary and all the concept art, Now it all happens in Superman's uh, sarcophagus, it's called, like the grave in the statue. And um, instead of having this epic kind of uh, K-suit armor that allows him to fly and shoot lasers and all that, now it's kind of more of just an armored Batman suit. Okay. So he doesn't have any powers and he's kind of just climbing up buildings and he's doing real sort of Batman-y stuff. And... uh, and then, I mean, the, the, love, the love story is fleshed out a little bit better. Is probably the best thing I'd say about the Dan Gilroy one. And um, there's no giant spider in this version. There's no Tannegarian snare beast? No Tanagarian snare beast. The I final, want my money back. The final showdown between Lex and Brainiac, when they finally sort of uncouple and it's just Brainiac as one creature again. I think the concept art where we see the cape unfurl and he's just this spider creature underneath. Yes, that looked amazing in the art. I think that's what this would have been. So he okay. fights that and that's the final battle. Even the Doomsday Battle in the Dan Gilroy version sounds really scaled back. Like the, I think they just fight outside Lexcorp and then they go down into the sewers and Superman ignites a gas uh, line or something like that and there's a huge explosion and that's how the fight ends. Like it's All oh right, okay. It feels it, uh, it reminded me of like the Smallville season 8 fight in this in this script compared <laughs> to the earlier ones where there was real crazy shenanigans going on um so look those are the three drafts they're they're very different and i think reading through all of them it became apparent that there's no there's no real ultimate version of this film where you know i think a lot of people just gravitate towards the kevin smith one and i think that if you watch the documentary you sort of assume that all the stuff from the wesley strick one would have been the movie whereas actually disappointingly i think this really scaled back dan gilroy one is probably the closest to what it actually would have been okay um, but, I suppose but it sounds like it sounds like Strix One would have been the most interesting. I think so, man. Yeah, like just everything, like it's so quotable. There's so many weird, crazy moments in it. I I think it's I think it's close enough to Superman that it wouldn't be this huge offensive thing that people make it out to be. I think I think it basically gets the broad strokes right. If there's one thing that I think is missing from all three maybe not kevin smith's script but one thing that i feel like they really didn't get into at all is just clark growing up on smallville you know they they really zone in on him being this outsider that he doesn't know who he is he doesn't know where he's from and for me i've always kind of like yeah superman is an outsider yeah there's issues there and he doesn't quite gel with humanity but ultimately he did grow up in this loving human environment, he wouldn't be completely, he's not Spock, you know? Yeah,
2: it almost sounds like it's a version
1: where he didn't grow up with the Kents. It, like, it feels like, like they described the Kents in all three of the drafts, but they're all, they're dead in all three of them and it, it doesn't feel like they were this hugely impactful kind of uh, parental force on his life the way Glenn Ford and Phyllis Thatcher were in, mm. the, in the original. And I feel like Tim Burton was really trying to imprint himself onto the movie and his own... Experience going throughout the world, and he talks about that in the documentary. That it, that was his,
2: yeah. Because uh, Tim Burton himself is always kind of this, he like he always comes across this odd kind of yeah. alien guy himself. So I could I could understand how he kind of writes from his own perspective and almost puts himself into the in into the narrative of of the of the film.
1: And if you look at like Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne, that's 100% Tim Burton. Like that's yeah. that yeah. that was his interpretation of it, and it works really well for Batman. And I think it probably might have worked for this because you've got Tim Burton on the one hand who apparently really wanted to make this light, you know, heroic film. And then you have Nicolas Cage who loves the character and has the acting range to make you believe he's two people. Um, You know, I, I think there was the, the problem and we'll get to it. Tim Burton's ego maybe not being able to settle on one thing. Warner Brothers, crazy machinations, all these flops. And then big old JP himself, yeah. he just wanted something completely different. He just wanted violence. He wanted street fighting. There's a bit in the in the documentary where he describes wanting the viewers to taste the blood off broken fists and to know what it feels like to have your nose broken. And <laughs> it's just like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> What's that got to do with Superman? Like, It sounds like he's trying to make a Van Damme
2: movie or something.
1: And he talks so much about how he's been in 500 fights, man. John yeah. Peters, he's so he's always going on about how he's been in all these fights and that, you know, he, he knows what people on the street are about. And he, you know, this... It's, it's it. The impression
2: I got was that he likes kind of tackling people who work for him who can't really fight back or they might lose their jobs. Fight,
1: yeah. So there's another part. You're alluding to the part in the documentary where they're all just bitching about John Pierce yeah. and what a disaster of a man he is to work for and they literally drew a cartoon of him putting someone in the headlock um, he just sounds like a real like a bully in one sense but also kind of an eccentric genius in another
2: but and when we, when we talk properly about the documentary in a minute we'll I, I will address it but I have to say if he if he hadn't been included in the documentary I'd have a much worse opinion of him than I do after watching him in the documentary. like In the documentary, you can kind of see what he was going for, where he was, what way his brain was working a little bit more, rather than just being this absolute lunatic. Um
1: And uh, and to follow on from that, if you, if you buy the documentary and you buy the special features off the back of it, there's an extended interview with John Peters, mm-hmm. and it's imperative. I think if you want to know anything about Superman Lives, that is one of the most definitive interviews ever, because you really get an insight into how this guy's mind works like he talks all about how you know people complain about that he was trying to sell toys he was trying to do this he was trying to that and then he was kind of like you know what guys i was trying to make a franchise i was trying to make something that would last and that would have all these different films and sequels and toys and and that would be beloved you know whereas look at the superman franchise now they keep trying Mm. to make one or two of them and then they don't take off because it's not as marketable as batman because you can't make batmobiles and gadgets and stuff for Superman because the character doesn't lend itself to it. When you buy a Superman toy, you have everything that Superman can do in that toy already. Whereas if yeah. you buy Batman, you can buy accessories, you can buy other versions, you can buy vehicles and all these things. And that's what he was trying to do for Superman. He was trying to like open up the world into these other possibilities. And when you to hear it like that, you're kind of like, yeah, I still don't really agree, but I, I can see sense. where you're coming from. Yeah. I can see where he's coming yeah. from, you know? And also... I think crucially the biggest issue was Warner Brothers were in trouble. There was all these flops coming out. Batman and Robin was one of them. The the the, the Postman I think. The postman, yeah. <laughs> Previous episode Steel which Shaquille O'Neal flopped. There was a there was a, there was like six flops in that year. Yeah, they were in a bad way in the 90s, yeah. And they describe in the documentary that literally every time Dan Gilroy went back into a meeting with the executives another executive had been fired. And that's what killed the movie. They kind of said, this is too much of a risk. And Hollywood, as much as we like to pretend it's about creativity and pushing the border, it's about risk aversion. It's about I- what is the project we can pick that we know is going to make money? And they didn't know that this was definitely going to make money. So they said, no. And I what does say, that what does that remind us of? That's yeah. maybe happening right now with Warner Brothers. Alan, yeah,
2: absolutely. But I have to say that I am always surprised, considering the fact that and, and Burton has said this himself that he really got the impression that they didn't he, like he didn't want to do Batman forever, but he really got yeah. the impression that they really didn't want him to do it. Obviously, after the whole thing with the Happy Meals and the way Batman Returns was yeah. received, I was very surprised <coughs> that Warner Brothers would entertain Tim Burton as a, a director of a Superman movie in 1997, 1998.
1: I have to say that that's another thought I've always had. It's like, why did they kind of decide? Well, okay, let's bring him back. I, I've never, and they never really get into that in the documentary, Mm. and he never gets into why he would want to come back. Having said that, comic book movies were like Chinese water torture. So I don't know. Was he? Uh, And the irony of it is, is
2: that Tim Burton allegedly was Kevin Smith's idea, and the first thing that Tim Burton did was fire Kevin Smith.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like there's different, there's conflicting reports. So Kevin Smith is taking credit for that. And John Peters has taken credit for that. Mm. And then I think there's even a story where Nicolas Cage may have said that they should go with. So it's hard to say. Like, I feel like maybe Kevin Smith is the voice you can trust the most. But I, I don't know. Like, Will we talk about casting? Yes,
2: let's do it. So everybody knows. The, the legendary casting of Nicolas Cage in the role of Clark Kent and Superman. So I, I didn't really know anything about Superman Lives in the 90s. Um, really, I kind of only knew about these failed Superman projects maybe in the early 2000s. I remember reading yeah, about things on boards like Superman Flyby and McG coming in and all these, you know, Brett Ratner kind of focused things and I've heard rumblings of of the Superman Lives thing from the 90s, but I didn't really know much about it. Um, And then obviously everybody at least every superman fan has seen the legendary photographs of of uh, Nicholas Cage in the suit in the in the I think it's two different suits we see him or three different suits we see him in we see him in the one with the um very very like the the batman aesthetic and the rubbery aesthetic with the blue with the red and yellow crest and then we have him in one with just a, a red crest I think it is on a blue Yeah background. and that that
1: was the one that was around for years the for one years. where it's this really kind of unflattering picture and where it almost looks like he's blinking and he's wearing an ill-fitting wig yeah. And he's wearing this as you describe it, it's it's a fairly modern-ish looking Superman S, but it doesn't have the yellow background, it's just blue. red on a blue background. And it it doesn't look very flattering, it doesn't look very good. No, but um, it, it
2: it is a shot of a costume fitting. Yeah. You know, it's it's not made for release. It is and uh, like it was no. the point of duration for years, everybody's taking the piss out of it and that. But looking back now and seeing the live footage in in John Sch- um uh, documentary. And and you can see him talking it out and they're kinda of, he's shooting ideas to Tim Burton, Tim Burton Tim Burton shooting ideas back to him. And I'm like, I can kind of see it. I can see it. I can see this working. Absolutely. I can see this, especially this version of Superman. Is he Christopher Reeve? No. Is he George Reeves? No. He is Tim Burton's Superman. And I can absolutely see it. And uh where it really sunk in for me was when I saw him as Clark. Um, in the light blue blazer with like he was like oh I can wear a mickey mouse t-shirt or something underneath and it was a totally different vibe like this like i think they described it, it would like, have been bugs bunny in the movie that's be honest. yeah <laughs> um this kind of silicon valley kind of weird nerdy guy kind of you know uh, really on the periphery of, of the social circle yeah and i could absolutely see that working as a version of dark end yeah percent.
1: So I'm really sad we didn't get that. What are, you, what are your thoughts on Nicolas Cage? Because I know you're a huge Nicolas Cage fan. I, I feel like I've kind of said it now. But yeah, no, I... Uh, again, maybe going into the documentary, I I don't know if I would have quite felt... But like, Nicolas Cage, by the way, is one of my favourite actors. I, I watched um, uh, Wild at Heart recently. He's mm-hmm. amazing in that. If anyone hasn't seen Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, that's the that. film I will point to forever when people make fun of Nicolas Cage. He's an astonishing actor. Yep. And he has... He is crazy and he is like he does push the boat out too far. When he's working with the right director, you've got the best actor in the world. And I think Tim Burton would have been the kind of guy who could pull him back enough. And this could have been something. Cage is
2: a huge fan of the material yeah we've said it before. he's named his son Carlel he owned a there's a, a podcast stealing Superman all about the theft of his his original action comics number one, which he bought in the mid nineties late nineties. He's a huge huge fan of the material, yeah. and I think he was physically pained when this didn't work out
1: yeah and like going back to his abilities as an actor though I think crucially like every version of Superman with no disrespect to many of them who I really really like every superman we've seen since christopher reeve just can't quite grapple with the dual identity every yep. single one of them they all kind of they're they're either too similar in one way or they're not interesting enough in the other way i think Nicolas cage would have been able to delineate between the two and would have made yeah. both of them interesting distinct characters and you would have believed that they were that they were different characters even with that ridiculous wig he was wearing yeah. i think it would have worked and there's this huge obsession with oh we have to cast someone that looks like the character because that's what he's looked like for 85 years Michael Keaton motherfucker and Eve yeah. Ledger Daniel Craig look well, at all I these was, I was just Daniels. about to
2: say it about Keaton if Batman 89 had suffered the same fate as Superman lives and yeah. there had been all this material and <coughs> costume pinnings with Keaton Hayne and we'd all wonder yes. well Michael Keaton how would that have worked and he's Kind of balding a little bit, and you know he doesn't really suit the the look of the character. Like we would have missed out on on probably the best Batman that's ever imagine, existed in my imagine opinion. Imagine
1: if we'd seen some unflattering picture of Michael Keaton. Exactly, yeah. I completely agree. If we'd seen some unflattering picture, you know, in some half kind of fitted costume, or whatever that was, with the finished. black with
2: the black around the eyes or something. Yeah, just some of the other when we're talking in terms of the casting. Um, you mentioned it, Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken maybe as um was in 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 their idea in their head for Brainiac. Uh, also, Jim Carey was kind of being thrown around there, but that might have just been because everybody was throwing his name around at the time. Um, Sandra Bullock, Courtney Cox, and Julianne Moore for Lois Lane were being thought of. Uh, Chris Rock as Jimmy Olsen,
1: possibly. I, can, I, would, I uh, Just on on each of those, reading Wesley Strick's, reading Kevin Smith's draft, I, I really don't see any of those choices in mind there. Yeah. I think they were still figuring it out. When you read Wesley Strick's draft, and you heard me do the voice earlier on, you're 100% reading Christopher Walken and Megan yeah. Brainiac. Like there's no, there's nobody else. And a lot of Lex Luthor, I was kind of pick, I was kind of hearing Kevin Spacey at that stage um, as well. Uh, In terms of Lois, they, they did mention Sandra Bullock and I think some of those kind of zingers she has like Kiss Me Science Man and all that, I did picture Sandra Bullock in, in some of those scenes, definitely. Um, I really feel like of all the scripts, Wesley Strick I think was actually writing towards the characters that might have played them and you can totally read nicholas cage uh like that superman has a lot of kind of one-liners in this mm-hmm. which you know and you could argue that maybe that's not superman-esque or whatever but they feel like nicholas cage one-liners from like the rock or Con Air or something like that and they work like they it feels like they'd be fun yeah no absolutely and like The situation is for years and years, because I'm guilty of it, for
2: years and years I was like, that would have been an abomination. That would have been like, like I had always put it in my head as something like Battlefield Earth or something like that. It's going to be absolute crap. Looking back now, man, I wish this film existed. (laughs) I wish that I could put it on and watch it, even if it wasn't good, just to see something, something different, something, a new take, like a, a director's vision of what his Superman could be they could even have just called a Tim Burton Superman and I would have been I, I just I, I, I do wish it existed I'd love to see an animated version of it um, perhaps like I know Nicholas Cage voice voiced Superman since, and obviously he's appeared, air quote, appeared in the Flash movie in CGI form in that monstrosity of a scene. Um, but I, I would really, I, I, I don't know if they made the animated ver- an animated version of the film because like, it, it, I, I was big into the DC original movies for a while. They really are gone to crap over the last yeah. few years. I don't know what version they'd make. Would they make the Wesley Strick version? Would they make the Kevin Smith version? You know, I don't I, know what. I
1: think Kevin Smith has too much power in that whole sphere, and if they ever went near this in in It'd one of those anime, it would be it would just be him, and he'd have final say. And maybe he would incorporate some of the other crazier stuff, but I feel like it would be a version of his script, and for me, that would be a missed opportunity. If they if they after all this they just went and did his one it'd be a bit of a waste because it's, yeah. it's just too similar to the other standard Superman animated stuff we've seen. I think it, if you really wanted to make something wacky and crazy, you'd need to do something more like Wesley Strick's script. Yeah. Um, and that's might the one I'd be, be interested in seeing. Tim, you know, the uh, Tim Burton, Wesley Strick version. Um, and
2: just all the art that exists for this i am shocked that they they have not released some kind of a photo book or art book with all these amazing um drawings and sketches and
1: model work and stuff in the book i would i i i think that would sell
2: great i'd love to get a
1: copy of that i agree and and one of the great things again the documentary we kind of keep alluding to it um It's the only way, really, to see a lot of those designs Mm -hmm. in in high quality. Like, if they're on the internet at all, other than that, it's just in really kind of low-res sort of uh, pictures and scans from over the years. I, funnily enough, I think I mentioned this in one of our really, really earlier episodes. I designed uh, a trading card series for Superman Yes, you did mention, yeah. As As if it was actually a real film and they released these cards... Which they did throughout the '90s for all the Batman movies and uh, and even the Superman movies in the '80s had the tops cards, didn't they?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, well, I have the tops. I have the tops cards from Superman two and Superman
1: three. As
2: yeah. far as I, I definitely have Superman three, um, so they they did exist. Yeah.
1: I've I have all the cards from Batman '89 and from Batman Forever, and I think I have a couple from. I, I also have a lot of comic based ones as well. And they were like such a cool thing that they did in the 90s was these trading cards. And sometimes you get them free with cereal or you get them actually free with with figures. Mm -hmm. And I just think, you know, so much of what fascinates me about this unmade movie and all the concept art and everything else is this was the prime of the Kenner toys kind of supremacy. And they had the DC license and you can bet your bottom dollar there would have been some of the best Superman toys we've ever seen for this movie and they would have made so many crazy incredible toys for this and they've never like by the time you get a superman returns amount of steel the whole action figure mass market action figure thing was kind of coming to an end and they weren't as exciting as they were back then if you if they'd made toys for this man i just like <laughs> if for nothing else i wish this movie existed <laughs> for the toys bit of self-promotion if people want to check out those trading cards I'll post a link, and I'm going to post some of them on our, our Instagram because I think people will really like them. Um, um, yeah, the documentary. We, we keep
2: alluding to the documentary, and I just I didn't want to kind of just drop it into conversation there. The yeah, documentary yeah. I highly recommend. It's by the late great John schnepp uh, It was released in 2015. And it was kind of partly funded as a you know a GoFundMe or Kickstarter or something like that, and it's a really really great documentary. It's a really great movie. Yeah. You can still get it. Um, it's on you can buy it on the death of superman lives what happened dot vhx dot tv um, i got my copy there about a month ago i think i paid what was it 29 dollars or 30 dollars $30 for the, the main documentary and then the the behind the scenes extras and all that kind of stuff and it was a real passion project for john schnepp and he was working on it for years he got some great interviews. He interviews Tim Burton in it. You mentioned earlier on he interviews uh, John Peters. He interviews Kevin Smith, Wesley Strick. Uh, loads of coverage of the um, of the art, uh, uh, of the designs and everything for the film. Mm. And it really is the, the best. If you want to know more about Superman Lives, it really is the go-to. And I really highly recommend, unfortunately, John uh, Schnepp died after he had a stroke in 2018. Far too young. Yeah. And um, it would be great if, if people went and, uh, and and bought a copy of it because it, it really is worth it. I, I remember at the time you could actually get... I th- I'm almost sure it was, it was released on DVD and, and and possibly Blu-ray. Definitely DVD, I think, at the time, and a hard copy. I, I remember seeing art for it and stuff. I don't think you can do that. I think it's only digital downloads no, at the moment. I'm, I'm
1: looking at it now, and the, there's no physical purchase option Yeah, I'd anymore. love a physical
2: copy of it. Um, But it's, it's definitely worth checking out. It's a really, really, really good documentary. And you can tell it's made by... Uh, a, a man who who loves the character and loves the material and loves the history of it, and it's and, it's it's just superb.
1: And just on that, you don't like you don't just have to buy the full thing with all the bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. You you can rent it for four dollars. Like, yeah, just rent it for four dollars. Then you can buy the movie just on its own for fifteen dollars. There's all these different packs you can get, and the one me and Alan got, I think, is the 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 ultimate sort of. Yes. It's called the super pack, and it has over eight hours of exclusive content. And I mentioned that John Peters interview earlier on it's essential you gotta watch it there's an extended kevin smith there's loads of kevin Smith interviews on it there's um you mentioned sylvain despretz that's really interesting because that guy has a lot of nasty things to yeah, say I, about this whole experience I, I definitely
2: murdered his name when i pronounced it so um, we'll go with yours
1: colleen atwood uh, the, mm-hmm. the costume designer there's an extended interview with her all everyone who features in the documentary he just posts the rushes of their their interviews and there's loads of really really interesting insightful things in there so i mean please definitely yeah, it, check that. It, it really
2: is for any superman fan it is an absolute must and um just support it for John's sake. You know, it really was a passion project in his life. And I, I think it would honor him for people to uh, to to check it out.
1: So before we kind of wrap this up, Alan, I, just, I want to get your thoughts. I think you've kind of mentioned that you would like to have seen this mm-hmm. objectively. And this is something they get into towards the end of the documentary. Do you think this should have been made? Would it have been successful?
2: No, it wouldn't have been successful, I don't think. But, and I think I would have hated it at the and time do
1: you, yeah do you think people would have liked it do you think it would have been i don't think well people would
2: have liked it yeah. at the time i think i would probably love it now yeah um i i don't think if this had came out what year would it have come out 98, 99? 98. Yeah, yeah i think
1: it was originally 98 yeah i
2: would have been 14 um up. now it's it's tricky because I, I i love batman 89 i love batman returns those are my batman movies but
1: this wasn't that era of tim burton it, it wasn't no, it wasn't. I I this don't. Was, this was like Mars Attacks, Sleepy yeah. Hollow, which is a Sleepy Hollow a yeah. great movie. he Walken made that well, because yeah. he didn't get to make this.
2: I I don't think it would have done well. I don't think it would have been well received at the time, but I think it would have garnered a cult following, and I think a lot of my generation would have grown to love it as they grew older and went back to it.
1: Yeah, I i obviously dearly wish this had been made i Mm -hmm. wish it existed i kind of go back and forth as to whether it would actually have been good i think all the tim burton says all the right things in the documentary um but he had all the cards stacked against him and this was kind of the beginning of the end of tim burton's golden era like mars attacks came out i'm really fond of that a lot of people aren't it flopped uh Sleepy Hollow, I think, is great. Uh, Christopher Walken, if you want to see Christopher Walken's brainiac performance, check out Sleepy Hollow. I think that's probably the closest to what he would have been. Um but then you go to like Planet of the Apes, which is probably mm. the closest thing to what this the scale of this might have been. And th- like nobody likes that really. Nobody they? likes I don't like Marky Mark's
2: Planet of the Apes.
1: Marky Mark's Planet of the Apes. That ending then, that doesn't make any sense. You know, so I I can't say that this would have been this huge hit. And remember. This is coming on, like, this, Kevin Smith handed in the first draft while Lois and Clark was still on the air. And that was for, and I know it wasn't for a lot of people, but that was the formative version of Superman Mm -hmm. for me. So to go from that into this, I think even then, even as an eight-year-old child, I think I would have been going, what? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't, but I think it really would have been like, whereas I don't get that with, even the shift between you know, the Burton Batmans and the Schumann, which I didn't really experience because the first Batman I saw in the cinema was Batman Forever. But even they kind of have a bit of a through line, whereas that for me, I think, would have just been like a 180, you know. I, I don't understand why it hasn't been released in at least comic book form. Yeah, it's hard to say. I think going back to what I was saying earlier on, it's just about marrying all three of those visions and making all that concept work and the concept art and all that stuff like would it be worth just doing a comic of kevin smith version i don't know yeah you know Um, and and like you said that probably is the version we'd get i do know that they did pitch this as an animated film as a dc original animated film and they turned they turned it down i don't know i don't know was it just that they thought it wouldn't sell or maybe it was more of a like well they might actually do something with that properly later on so we don't you know it could have been a bigger reason you know yeah because they are um, like like i said i know
2: you're not a big fan of them i've kind of gone away from them over the last few years they're you know they're chucking out a lot of mediocrity over the last while something like this like i'd snap this up if it was released
1: why not and you know it's like the batman 66 movies they did Mm -hmm. they were a bit of fun absolutely worth making i really enjoy both of those you know why not and nicholas cage will show up for a warm meal (laughs) 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 as great as he is Um, Can we get him on the podcast? He is the
2: only voice that is really absent from John's documentary. Um, I don't know if he was approached or they couldn't get him or he didn't want to talk about it. Or it it might just be the case that it's still this gaping wound that he doesn't want to address or talk about anymore.
1: Yeah, it's very strange. Um, But had this been made, I think, and this is crucial, I think they would have learned their lesson a lot earlier about what does and doesn't work in Mm -hmm. Superman movies. Yeah, just like they did with Batman and Robin, they kind of went. Well, do you know what? Maybe something so broad and so camp and so comedic, maybe let's just take the character seriously for what he celebrated for and do well, that. Here's a question Then they for make you. the Dark Knight trilogy, and it's the best, you know, most. Here's a question for you. Okay, one.
2: In a world where Superman Lives was released, yeah, and and did not do well, yeah, does Superman Returns then do better in two thousand and six?
1: I don't. I don't think they do it. I don't think they do. I think they say, let's go back to square one you know 7 years later like they did with Batman Begins they say we got to reinvent this and and go back to what really really works about it mm-hmm. let's get someone who really understands the character loves what the character is and just go back to that and and try and reinvent it but still be true to the so i think they would have done that a lot earlier and they wouldn't have had this obsession with you know well, we got to have him punch someone and we there's got to be blood and we got to taste the blood and and that brings me to my next point oh my god watching the documentary and reading all these scripts it's the plot of Man of Steel. Like, it's, there's so many similarities. It's crazy. If you swap Brainiac for General Zod and you swap the Codex for the K slash mm-hmm. the Eradicator and all that, it's a very, very similar movie, man. Yeah. It's so similar. And, you know, all the... outside Clark feeling like an outsider. The The only difference is the big fight happens at the end and instead of dying, he becomes Superman. It's sort of a different kind of mythic... Uh, story. No arc. fights with polar bears either. But there's a polar bear in Man of Steel there is and a there's a giant spider dude. kind of in Man of Steel. Like, it's <laughs> crazy. And John uh, Peters, by the way, mentions in that extended interview that Man of Steel was the closest thing to what he envisioned for Superman. Mm-hmm.
2: So yeah, and and I can see it never actually
1: thought of that thing at the end of Man of Steel as a giant spider but you're, you're right I I don't know if it was actually intended but like considering apparently John Peters wasn't welcome on said set of Man of Steel and they kept him away from all this there's yeah. so many similarities man I, I,
2: I love the story about how he went into the, into the art department and basically nicked the uh the Brainiac skull ship the day oh, before they shut the movie down and it's still,
1: it's still in his office. That should be Matt Truex should be handling that now in a YouTube video talking about it. It's such a sadness <laughs> that that's where that thing is. And the final thing I'd say on the Man of mm-hmm. Steel thing, when you see, um, when you see the ship go leave Krypton and Brainiac is staring up angrily at it, I think it's in the Wesley Strick draft and he literally says something like if, if it, if it should take an eternity, I swear I will find you kal Like where where have we seen that? (laughs) There you go, Superman lives, Alan. Superman lives. Um, before we wrap up, will do we have time for a Metropolis mailbag? Uh, I have died and come back to life over the course of this episode. And I think I can think of no better way to end the show.
2: So we got a letter a little while ago from Daniela Rod, who's a good friend of ours. She's a great supporter of the podcast. She featured on Lois and Clark, the new podcast of Superman with me. And Max or, uh, Matt had the both of us on there a little while ago before the, the podcast uh, finished up uh, to cover an episode. And uh, like I said, she's a huge supporter. And she sent us in this lovely email about her Man of Steel episode. It reads, hey, Alan and Rob. Just listen to your latest podcast episode, Man of Steel, 10 year retrospective. And I wanted to share my thoughts with you. I love this episode and would say that I share most of your feelings towards this movie. I agree that the third cinematical, cinematic trailer is absolutely fantastic. And sometimes I watch it just to make myself dream that the movie yeah. was actually as good as the trailer. <laughs> uh, also, the casting is fantastic and I wish they would have given Perry and Lois something more to do. Yeah. I could go on and on, but I wanted to mention two facts that, that this movie totally missed for me. First, I feel like this movie never told us who the real person is, is it Clark or is it Superman? In my opinion, if you're making a Superman movie, you have to decide if you choose Clark as the person and Superman as the disguise or the other way around. If you don't decide on which is the disguise, you definitely have a problem explaining the glasses, which you obviously have anyway. I would say that this also I would say that this also is a big failure on the Superman and Lois series, even though I really like that series. Also, if you don't make a difference between Clark and Superman, then there is no need for a costume or superhero disguise in the first place, um, which is a fair point. Uh, secondly, if you want the audience to understand Superman or Clark's ethics, you have to give him meaningful relationships, not only with his dad, but also with all the people at the planet and especially with Lois. And for me, this movie had very little of that. That's I hope a great this, point. That is an excellent point. Uh, I hope all of this makes sense to you and that my English is halfway decent. English is not Daniela's first so, uh, first language, so she, she did great. Uh, stay safe and stay super, Daniela Rod. So we'll have to have, we, we spoke before, we'll, we'll um, cover another Lois and Clark episode down the line and we'll get Dan, Daniela on. She's,
1: um, she's superb, a huge yeah, fan of yeah, Lois I- and Clark. We, we fully and definitely want to have Daniela on because, again, like we talk about how interesting it is hearing from different people. Daniela is like us. She's from Europe. She's not from mm-hmm. America and she, nope. she's not even from the UK, as yeah. as we famously are not from as well, Alan. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I, I find it especially interesting hearing from people who are not from either of those countries because they mm-hmm. tend to be the only ones that people ever talk about in terms of fandom of these things. So it's fascinating to me that she is as big into this as, as we are. On the Clark and Superman thing, it is an interesting point, and I it is something I often think about. I do feel though that, like similarly with Batman, I think you're limiting yourself by just saying, "Well, this guy's real and that guy's a disguise." I think, especially in the Dark Knight movies, I liked the way you know, there's there's Private Bruce, there's Public Bruce, there's uh, Public Batman. And it's really private Bruce talking to Alfred and talking to Rachel, who's the actual guy. Yeah. And they kind they kind of did that in Superman Returns a bit as well, which I liked, where it was like, there's the Superman persona, and there's the Daily Planet Clark persona, and then there's the actual Clark talking to Martha on the farm, and that's the real guy. Yeah. And I feel like that's probably the most sensible way to do it in a modern context. I, I don't think they quite nailed it in superman returns and i think they just failed in in the snyder movies to be honest oh, it doesn't I mean, exist in the, the snyder there, movies there's, as as n- there's no there's no well like there's there is a real clark on the farm and there mm-hmm. is a superman persona ish but there isn't any kind of a clark Kent in the daily planet he just he just it just feels like henry cavill it does nothing there yeah um but like it is a very interesting point and i totally agree with her on the meaningful relationships thing the the French it feels like a friendship with Lois in that movie and when they're suddenly making out you're like what? yeah there's no chemistry there between Amy <laughs> there's Adams no and romantic Amy kind of it just it, they're just suddenly making out uh, in the, while there's all this chaos and destruction going and on it's especially really when you
2: compare it to to say chemistry between Terry and Dean or chemistry between Margot and and chris and like you can say what you want but like that chemistry i always find those uh, chemistries because there's you know with, with terry and dean there's always this kind of thing that maybe they didn't like each other that much and then with chris and margo there was something similar where they kind of came up against each other a little
1: bit and gotten each other's nerves and stuff and so maybe cl- that's something to do with it absolutely but closer to home tyler hecklin and bitsy look. say what you like about that show they have excellent chemistry mm-hmm. and all their scenes together you completely believe and he's you know i think he's Six or seven years younger than her, and he's thirty-two playing. I cannot something. believe. I he cannot believe that man
2: is like six years younger than me. <laughs>
1: he's he's effectively the same age as me, and he's completely believable as this seasoned father of these two sons, and he's been married for twenty years. You completely believe it, and their relationship feels. I said this on digging for a grip night. Their relationship feels authentic in a way that it hasn't in the movies for me. Absolutely. Um, so I, I have to. And and to her point, actually, I would say they. They don't say it out loud, but they make it very clear in that show that Clark is completely the real, even more so than maybe Lois and Clark, where, you know, the Superman persona was more fleshed out. The biggest problem I have with Superman and Lois is that there's almost even less of a Superman persona than ever. He really is just this laptop for the military. But Clark in that show is absolutely the hero of the piece. Like, he's the real guy. So much so that, like, there's all these scenes of, like, Clark in the Fortress of Solitude wearing his glasses. And you're like, I mean, he should probably be wearing the Superman suit there. But, like, you never question it because it's just... yeah I, I love that show
2: um i just before we go as well i want to give a shout out to tim rooney he sent a lovely uh tweet out after our for the man who's everything uh, for the man who was everything episode um oh. and he said so glad that i had the latest episode of all-star superpad for my run this morning these fellas always put out great work I, I have to say i was at work when i got that and it really made me smile so i just want to shout out to tim to say thanks a million for for taking the time to uh to say that it was
1: really nice very nice
2: um, so if you want to get in contact contact with us folks it's at all superfan on Facebook and instagram at all-star superpod on Twitter and if you want to be like Daniela and send us a letter or a um, or an email even or a voice note we would love a voice note you can send it to at all-star at gmail.com and we, we want to hear next voice notes
1: we want to hear from you as to whether you think you would have liked this film and mm-hmm. if you think it would have been successful please let us know yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, so everybody, hope you enjoyed this episode. A lot more
0: great content to come. I was really reminded the next summer when I went to the movies and saw a movie that John Peters had produced. And it was called The Wild Wild West. So I'm sitting in the theater watching the movie. I'm like, good lord, this is a piece of shit. (laughs) But then all of a sudden, like a giant fucking spider shows up. None of this, six gunning this, brother running this, buffalo soldier, look, it's like I told you, any damsel that's in distress, be out of that dress, when she meet Jim West, rough so go check the law on the vibe. watch your step, we'll flex, and get a hold in your side, swallow your pride, don't let your lip react, you don't want to see my hand, where my hip be at, with Artemis, from the start of this, running the game, James West, taming the West, so remember the name, now who you gonna call, now who you gonna call, If you ever riff with people, wanna bus, break out Before you get bum-rushed at the wild, wild When I roll and do the, the wild, wild When I stroll and do the, the wild, wild When I bounce and do the, the wild, wild west. West. Once upon a time in the West, madman lost his damn mind in the west. Love less, kidnapped down, nothing less. Now I must put his behind to the test. Then through the shadows, in the saddle, ready for battle. All your poison it kind of poison Behind my back All everything you did Front and center Now where you lip at kid Who that is A I mean brother bow for your health Looking damn good though If I can say it myself Told me Loveless is a madman But I don't fear that He got mad weapons too Ain't trying to hear that Trying to bring down me The champion When y'all clowns gon' see that it can't be done Understand me son I'm the slickest they is I'm the quickest they is Did I say I'm the slickest they is So if you up after Wrong tree we coming Don't be starting nothing Me and my partner Gonna test your chest Loveless, can't stand the heat to get out the wall, When I roll into the hole, when I throw into the room, when I bounce into the hood. a ton, 10 faces and turn just for fun, sun, up the sun, down, rolling around, see where the bad guys are to be found, and make them lay down, the defenders of the west, crushing all pretenders in the west, don't mess with us, cause we in the wild, wild when I roll into the wild, wild west. when I stroll into the wild, wild, west. When, I into the wild, wild west. when I bounce into the wild, wild